So uh, it was about this time last week, I um, found myself 8,000, maybe 10,000 feet above uh, Queen Elizabeth National Park in Uganda in a very small plane. And when I say small, I mean a very small single prop plane that was made to carry four people and a little bit of luggage. And I am sitting in the, uh, the co-pilot seat uh, talking to the pilot who barely shaves. And I'm like, you look like the guy who runs the roller coaster at Six Flags. <laughs> Not a pilot that's taking me over a thousand square feet of national park or a thousand square miles of national park where there's, there's no life anywhere but things that want to kill me. And we're flying and he turns to me and he goes, want to fly? And I said, yes, I would like to keep on flying. I prefer <laughs> flying. And he goes, no, no, you want to fly the plane? I said, like, really? And he goes, yeah. And I turn around to the passengers. They don't know what's going on. And I'm like, let's do it. And so <laughs> I, he showed me how to do all the stuff that you do that I don't remember how to do. And I take the wheel and on little planes, is anybody here a pilot? Oh, I am the only pilot in this room. <laughs> <clears throat> so when you're a pilot, uh, <laughs> you know, you're in a plane, 10,000 feet up in the sky. No, we were flying. He goes, fly through that cloud and see what happens. And I'm like, are there people in that cloud? Like what? <laughs> so turbulence is in the cloud. So uh, it freaked me out. So about, after about 20 minutes, I was so stressed out, I had to give it back to him. But I want you to know that for the last couple of weeks, as many of you know, um, uh, with your support and with <laughs> the help of the Lord, I've been traveling across uh, several countries in Africa. And I just want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for your encouragement. Uh, thank you for caring about the work of Midtown in places other than Nashville. And I went to Africa with a ministry called African Leadership. Some of you know Emily Blackledge. She's a member here and she's the president. And it's this amazing organization that started years ago with this goal in mind that most pastors in Africa <clears throat> have never been trained in scripture. They've never been trained in theology. They've never gone to seminary. They've not gone to school. And so you can imagine when you go to different churches in Africa, the kind of things that are taught and preached and believed. And many churches there are just crazy, like way out there. So African leadership worked with some seminary professors and they created a two-year curriculum where someone can go through this two-year class in somebody's living room or somebody's, uh, you know, home or a small church. And for two years, they can study and they take tests and they pass and then they graduate with a certificate. And almost all the people that go through African leadership training want to go and plant a church. So since COVID has hit, there's been no graduations in many of these countries. So I was asked as a member of the board to go with Emily over there uh, to be a part of these graduations. So to say that I've preached over the last two weeks is an understatement. I have preached at graduations. I have preached at church services. I have preached at spontaneous gatherings for worship. I have preached at classes that we visited. I preached in open fields and open airs. I preached literally in grass huts. I, I preached in tents, 
Not a good idea. I preached in churches, if you want to call them that. My sermons have been translated in the last two weeks from Arabic to also Dinka to Acholi to even French Congo, which is kind of its own little French. And what's remarkable about all these times that I preach, they all kind of happen the same way. As I'm there as a guest, as a member of the board, minding my own business, just trying to get over jet lag, and somebody leans over to me and says, do you know what the speaker is saying? And I'm like, no, no, I don't speak dinga. Thank you very much. <laughs> and they said, they're introducing you because you're about to preach a sermon. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, uh, okay, yeah, hello. We're one congregation. Or no, we were at this graduation in Congo. Now, all these are war zones. When I was assured by Emily and, and the leadership of African leadership, everywhere we're going is safe. And then when I got back home and people are sending me letters from those areas saying, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, what? But we were in one graduation. And it's crazy because she leaned over and said, uh, you're preaching. And I was so unprepared, I kind of stood up and kind of did a midtown, you know? What's up, Congo? <laughs> that didn't translate well. They're all like, what does that mean? But <laughs> The great thing about what we experience is what we're doing here, they're doing there. They're worshiping the Lord. They're preaching the gospel. They're celebrating communion. They're celebrating baptism. They're building community and they are committed to discipleship. You should be very encouraged because the church that we saw is committed to this community becoming fully mature in Christ. They're in the middle of a war. They're suffering. Poverty like you wouldn't even begin to comprehend. Opposition. And yet, they have limited resources. And yet, they have committed themselves to the very thing that you've committed yourselves to. The very work that we're doing here they're doing there. It's the work of the church. So I'd like to share with you, this is in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'd like to share some encouragement to you from the church in Africa. And this is Paul. Timothy is the, is the book that Paul wrote to his little protege, to a young pastor who is planning a church and trying to minister to a church. And he's trying to encourage him. And in verse 8, he says, Hey, Timothy, remember, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, who was a descendant of David, which we talked about about three weeks ago. This is my gospel. And he says, this is what I'm suffering for, even to the point of being chained like a criminal because Paul was in prison. And yet he says this, but God's word is not chained. Paul was saying, I'm chained, but the word of God is so powerful. The work of the Holy Spirit to build up the church is so powerful. Even though I'm chained, it's not chained. And I want to tell you, I've been to places that would shock you and the gospel's not chained there. It is unchained. And it's going crazy. One day we were, we were in Goma, which is in Congo. And Congo, I, I told Emily, I saw the news like four weeks ago, a couple weeks before we left, the rebels assaulted the city of Goma. The rebels I don't know who the rebels are. That just doesn't sound good, does it? Like the rebels have attacked the place that we're going to. And I said, Emily, should we be concerned? She goes, ah, no, no, don't worry about it. So we go and the attacks had stopped, but 
We, we get in our car and we travel outside the government-controlled city uh, to the outskirts where the rebels dwell. Because this will blow your mind. There are pastors in training in the city and there are pastors in training in the rebel camps. And so we go through checkpoint after checkpoint of guys in T-shirts with these big machine guns and they're wanting to know who we are. And we go through and we reach this church that's in the back of an IDP, which is internally displaced people. It's, there's refugee camps when people leave their country and they're in another country. But if you're a refugee within your own country, you go to IDP camps. And this is where all the rebels are. And we go in and they're singing and they're welcoming us. And this guy stands up to give his testimony. And he begins to say, I, I was a rebel soldier. I was forced into service. And I began to do things as a rebel soldier that were unspeakable. He said, I, I was suffering tremendous shame because of the things that I'd done in this uniform. And when I came home, I realized my wife had died. Uh, so not only had I done these unspeakable things, but now my wife was dead and I had to raise my children all by myself. And I was so overwhelmed by guilt and shame and felt so unworthy to raise these children. I went down to the river to throw myself in the river and kill myself. And on the way, I met a man who told me about Jesus. I get this. And he said, and Jesus changed my life. He changed my whole life. He said, not only did he forgive me of all that I'd done and set me free, but now he has put his spirit within me. And now all I want to do is to serve the name of Christ. And he's in the pastor training. And here's what's crazy is that we get, I mean, because if you're in church and, and you know Jesus, you know what it's like when Jesus comes in and transforms you from dead to life. You know that. You know what it's like when he takes the old and pushes it away and he brings all the new in. But here's what's crazy. Didn't stop there with him. It didn't stop with Jesus changed my life. It's like whatever Jesus gave me has to flow out of me now. I am so compelled to give this to other people. Like I get it. So let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. At the very beginning of this chapter, Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you were to read the rest of this chapter, Paul begins to give Timothy these uh, illustrations. He says, you know, be like a soldier, be like an athlete, be like a farmer. But he's not saying be strong like a soldier, like weapon up <clears throat> or be strong like an athlete, you know, get in training and, you know, become strong physically or be like a farmer, be strong discipline, like you're working hard and you have calluses on your hands. No, he says, be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. And what, what does that mean when Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says that we are to grow in grace and we are to actually we're to participate in growing in the grace that is ours in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, as Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. What is it about this grace that we're to grow into 
that we have, but we're to nurture and we're to grow into it and we're to grow in our knowledge and to such an extent that even my very weaknesses now are advantages because it lets me let go of me and let me step into this thing called grace. What is this grace that even in my weakest points, it becomes actually stronger? Well, grace is the forgiveness of God for starters. Grace is also God's provision. Grace is also God's promises, as we saw with Xander. But grace is also God's guarantee that I am with you. I go before you, I come behind you, and there is nothing that's going to happen to you that's outside of my goodwill for your life. So Paul says to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, when you get it, don't keep it, give it away. When it hits you, let it go. And I'd like to introduce you to a, a few people that really displayed that on this trip uh, to Africa. So I'd like to show you the first picture is this guy that you've heard about, <clears throat> but you haven't met yet. Uh, I've told you about Cato, uh, and if you've been around a while, I've talked about Cato. Cato um, was arrested four years ago in southern Sudan and thrown into prison for murder. Do y'all remember this story? So Cato uh, did not commit this murder. He was wrongly accused, and he was thrown into prison. And when he went into prison, uh, he was certain, as well as everybody in the community, as well as African leadership, this is a huge mistake, and he's going to be out uh, by the end of the weekend. That's not what happened. In fact, COVID hit, and instead of being out by weekend, uh, Cato spent three and a half years in prison. And when we were able to negotiate his release, maybe you remember the story, we sent representatives from AAL to go get him out of prison. We've been given permission to get him out. The, the guards of the prison stopped our representatives and said, please don't take him. Like, what are you talking about? I said, please. He has transformed this place from a prison into a house of praise. We need him to stay for the good of those that are here. This isn't a prison anymore. This is his church, and he is the pastor. Please don't take our pastor. That's Cato. I've told you that story before. So I'm sitting at dinner with Cato, and I'm like, uh, and you know me, I'm like, hey, Cato, uh, what was it like being in prison? Like, uh, like, that just, like, come on, man, what's up with that? And he said, well, brother, I won't do his accent. I won't do it. <clears throat> I'll, uh, if it was just you and me, I would do it, all right? <laughs> what am I going to do it? He looked at me and he goes, uh, he goes, everything changed for me when I heard the voice of God. And I'm like, whoa. Whoa, put the fork down. Say that again, please. I heard the voice of God. And I said, you mean like you were doing a Jesus calling devotional and maybe it just warmed your heart a little bit and you're like, that's the voice of the Lord. Or maybe you opened up the Psalms and you said, rejoice in the Lord always. And you thought that must be the voice of the Lord. Or are you saying, no, I really heard the voice of God. And he goes, I heard the voice of God. And I said, everybody stop. Because there are two questions I have for you right now. One is, what does his voice sound like? And two, what did he say to you? 
<laughs> he said, well, I can't tell you what his voice sounded like. But I woke up in the middle of the night, <clears throat> and it was a strong voice. And, he, and the voice said, Cato, I put you here. And he, he said, when I heard that voice, and the Lord said, I put you here, I knew it meant a couple of things for me. One, I have to stop not being me. If God put me here, he put me here to be me. And he put me here with my calling. And my calling is to be a pastor. And he said, so I woke up the next morning and began to preach the gospel. And I'm, I'm sitting with this guy and he's telling me about, he has nine children. And while he was in prison, his, his brother died, who has nine children. And so he's now raising his nine children and his brother's nine children. And I leaned over to him and I said, hey, do you ever wish you were back in prison? <laughs> I know, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Go to the next picture. This right here. <laughs> Sister Alavera. Sister Alavera is a nun who about 40 years ago, you can't tell it, but she's in her 70s. And about 40 years ago, uh, she, on the streets of Congo, began to see children that were being abandoned. Uh, their parents just had no resources for them. And so she began to gather them up and she opened up an orphanage. And for the last 40 years, she has run an orphanage with nothing, nothing. And that smile right there does not leave her face. In fact, it was chilling to the bone because we showed up and uh, we sat down in her office, which was the size of this stage, and she was just smiling, and she was the first African woman that looked at me in the eyes and wouldn't look away. And it was like, she's looking right through me. And it was, it was moving, because you could tell there is something, there's something in you that is so familiar. And it was Christ. It was Jesus in her. And she was telling me the story that she had been in Italy uh, earlier in the year, and she said it was horrible. I said, well, what was so horrible about it? And she had gone, because she has breast cancer, and she had gone back for some treatments, and she said it was horrible because for two months I had to stay away from my babies. And she has raised generation after generation of children with nothing. Change the picture. These two guys right here, these are characters. And by the way, when you go to Africa, that right there is so common. Like, if you want somebody to show you where something is, guys will just take your hand and just hold your hand forever. They, I know it's so, it's like, no, this is not my comfort zone. Let go of my hand, please, let go. Oh, brother, let's walk hand in hand. No, let's don't do that. Let's don't. That's so common. The guy over here on the left is, is Bishop Dennis. He's 75 years old, and he is a man that has preached the gospel in uh, Congo and has been at the center of so much of the work of the Lord through that whole country. And Congo is huge. If you stretched from Louisiana, it would go all the way up, midway through Canada. That's how big it is. And he's at the center of many of the works. And to give you a little picture, when we pulled into the orphanage with Sister Alavera. Uh, and she's greeting us and so thankful there. He opens up the back of the SUV we're in and has all these Cokes soda pops for the kids, like 70 kids. 
and he's handing them out and the kids are all hugging him. And then he handed me a bunch of candy bars. He said, just give them candy bars. Like give them. So we're bringing candy and soda to all the kids and they're just going nuts. They're loving every minute of it. And then he turned to some of her helpers and they started pulling out hundred pound bags of rice out of the back of his uh, SUV and beans and cooking oil. And when Seth, Sister Oliveira came up to, to grab his hand and thank him, he did this. And I know this seems so small. So Emily, his head of African leadership is standing right here. He takes Sister Oliveira's hand and he moves it over to Emily and says, these are from her. We didn't even know that was in the back of the car. You see what he's doing? Immediately he's, he's giving her glory. And, and he's not taking responsibility for any of this. And here's the question. Dennis, where'd you get money for that? Who knows? Maybe he's a drug runner. I don't know, you know? <laughs> he does it for good. But they got nothing. They got nothing. And so that's Dennis, though. And everything we did, everywhere we went, it was just this humble servant that was constantly seeing what was given to him as to flowing out. And then the guy there on the right, that's Tito. And let me tell you, that guy right there, if he had a cape, he would fly because he was my constant companion. He was at my side every time and even laughed when we were doing the graduation in, in Congo and everybody came up and started kissing me on the lips. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want this. I don't want Tito loved it. He just thought it was hilarious. Translator, he is at the center of so much. Hundreds of pastors in Africa because of this man right here. And at the, let me tell you what happened. Before I left on the trip, I'm not going to tell you who it is. That's his job to tell you who it is. Somebody came over to my house and gave me a stack of $100 bills and said, hey, just give it away. Whenever the Lord leads you, just give it away. And I'm like, are you kidding? He goes, generosity is fun, isn't it? I said, yeah, especially when it's your money. I love that. <laughs> and so all through the trip, I'm like just sliding people, you know, a little bit casually. Like it was so much fun. But at the end of the trip, I'm sitting at a restaurant with Tito and all I have left, I just I empty my pockets and just go, bro, this is all for you. And his wife is sitting next to him. And I put it in front of me. He goes, thank you, brother. And he's laughing with that big smile. Then he does this. He moves all the money over to his wife. She takes it and puts it in her purse. And she goes, he gets no money. <laughs> Hang on. I said, please explain. She goes, Tito's no good with money. I said, why? And she goes, because every time he gets money, he always meets somebody that's in more need than him. He never keeps it. He's all, it never makes its way home. He, he gives it away before it ever makes it to our house. So our deal is, anytime somebody gives him a gift, it comes straight to me. <laughs> can you imagine, can you imagine making nothing, making nothing, and you're so committed to what pours into you, it pours out of you. That even when you have nothing, the little that you have, people are rebuking you for giving it away. <laughs> yeah, you're going to meet Tito. He's going to come here and preach in a couple months. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So then, my, song, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. But then look at verse 3, because here's our challenge for today. Paul says to Timothy, join with me in suffering. 
join with me in suffering. That is the most horrible invitation. Think about that. I was reading this week. Have you ever heard of Ernest Shackleton? Ernest Shackleton was an adventurer who explored Antarctica. And he's famous for his boat endurance that he got trapped in the ice uh, on their journey to Antarctica and then eventually got crushed. And him and his, uh, his crew spent nearly six months navigating their way back to civilization. In fact, some people say it's the greatest story of survival that's ever been. Some would say it's the greatest feat of open ocean navigation that's ever been accomplished. Well, when he put together his crew, do you know how he got his crew for this insane expedition? He put an ad in the newspaper. This is what it said. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. <laughs> That's how he got his crew. That's what Paul's doing here with Timothy. He's going, I'm making no bones about it. If you're going to go on the journey of the church, if you're going to realize that you're a part of a kingdom that's not of this world, if you're going to realize the power that has been given to you and you're going to let that flow throughout you, you're going to suffer. In fact, this, this command in the Greek, it's this aorist tense, it's this, it's this pronouncement where Paul is saying to Timothy, now, join with me now, step in with me now. We're invited to suffer because loving is hard. Giving out is hard. And it, it messes with us. We had come from uh, the northern part of southern Sudan where we'd gone up there to meet with the chiefs of this village. It was really kind of cool. I don't even know how to tell you. We met under this huge tree. They're all sitting there waiting for us. We were trying to negotiate some land down on the Nile River that we could build a training center. And we had spent the whole day there. And when we came back into uh, Juma, we, we went to this bishop's house to say farewell because we were leaving the next morning. And we walked in and his wife had prepared a feast. Like she had it all out on the table, it was a feast. And let me tell you something about traveling to Africa. One, you only drink bottled water. You never drink water from the tap. If you don't know where that water came from, you don't drink it, okay? Because there's so many things in the water that can really ruin your day, you know? Stuff that just alters the path of where you're gonna go during that day. But you're also very careful about what you eat, like because food is prepared in a certain way. And I didn't eat beef for two weeks. I want you to know that because their idea of beef is a little different than, okay, it's a different story. But we sit down and I'm looking at this spread of all this stuff on the table going, uh-oh, uh-oh. And the bishop is standing there and he's like, I'm so, we, it's unexpected. And he said, I'm so happy to have you here. He has nothing. We walk into his house, like his home is home for everybody in his church that has no home. Like this is his home and he has nothing and he's prepared this feast for us. And when he introduced his wife and she said, it is a joy to serve you. There was no decision about it. Give me a plate. I'm going to eat it all. I don't care because my comfort now took second place. Me being healthy didn't matter anymore because something mattered more in that moment 
than making sure that I wasn't going to be going to the bathroom 10 times the next day. And it was loving those people. And that's what happens when the gospel comes inside of us. A love transforms our loves and gives us new loves that we're willing to suffer for and sacrifice for and give our lives for. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, hey, don't be surprised when you suffer as if something unusual is happening. This is normal. But when you face suffering, it says in verse 13, rejoice. Rejoice. You know, suffering, I don't know about you, but you know, suffering and hardships and struggles, relationship struggles, work struggles, personal struggles, spiritual struggles, addictions. They have a a tremendous ability to make me bitter, make me resentful. You know, when I suffer, I have such a need to want to blame somebody for it or accuse. Suffering can isolate me from other people. Suffering can make me choose not to get around people anymore because they just hurt too much. Suffering is crazy. It can get you out before you ever take the, the moment to get in. But when we rejoice in our suffering, when we actually make the choice, I am going to step in and rejoice in the midst of my suffering. The, the scriptures teach us now suffering becomes something that's powerful in our lives. It actually is an agent of transformation in our lives. In Romans chapter 5, it says that when we rejoice, we should rejoice in what Christ has done for us. Yes, but we also rejoice in suffering. Because when we rejoice in suffering, it produces perseverance. You want perseverance? Rejoice in your suffering. It also produces, perseverance produces character. And then character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. It says that in Romans chapter 5, that hope does something powerful in our lives because it allows us to see that God is pouring his love out into our hearts. And what does that mean when we see God pouring his love out in our hearts? Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul puts it this way, then we begin to see, then we begin to see the riches and the hope and the power that is ours. Not that we need to get ours. And when we know the power that is ours, that we can now let flow out of us, we become very dangerous people. So, I'm about done, but I need to tell you one more story. So uh, I, I agreed to go to Africa under one condition, and that is, can I have a few days uh, having fun? The other stuff was fun. Uh, and so that was agreed upon. And so uh, we hired a motorcycle adventure company to take us on a three-day uh, off-road adventure through West Uganda and through the game parks. Um, Epic, epic being on a motorcycle 20 feet from an elephant. Don't ever want to do it again, but when I did it, it was awesome, all right? You're riding over hippos. Don't do it anymore, all right? But we were led on this journey by our tour master, who was this guy from Egypt. His name was Ali, and he's a Muslim. And uh, 
He had long hair. He was completely irrelevant, care less that I was a pastor. Chain smoked. We would stop just so he could smoke. I've never seen anybody ride a motorcycle and smoke cigarettes through an adventure helmet. It was like weird. It's like, <laughs> but he did it. He did it. And there are no traffic laws in Uganda. We nearly died. If it wasn't for the grace of God and the Holy Spirit that surrounded us, we would be dead right now. And every night we would laugh and joke. And he was just, you know, he just nonstop, nonstop. And one morning at breakfast, I looked at him and I said, Ali, tell me, man, I just got to know, why are you a Muslim? Like, you're not like any Muslim I know. And he goes, ah. I just want to be good. I want to be good. He said, I want my kids to be good, you know. He said, because, you know, we're going we're gonna to be good and we're going to get into heaven. Like, everybody wants to go to heaven, right? And that's what all religions are about, is being good, right? Isn't that what they're all about? <laughs> and I said, wow, Ali, how good are you? And he goes, pretty good. I said to him, you know what I've learned from my own personal experience is I'm a lot worse than I want everybody to believe that I am. And he paused for a moment and he goes, okay, okay. I agree with that. And I said, let me tell you something unique about Jesus. Jesus does not care about you being good. He didn't come to make you good. Jesus came to make you alive. And he leaned in and he goes, Let's talk about that. And I'm going to tell you, guys, we live in a city that the Lord is bringing thousands of people here. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to this city. You may never go to Africa. I hope you do. I hope I take all of you. I'd love to show you things that you'll tell stories about for the rest of your lives. But you may never go, but we are here. This is our mission field. And what Jesus has poured into you, let it pour out of you. However the Lord wants to use you here, let's start that conversation and let's see what God does through us right here in Nashville. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our brothers and sisters in Africa. We pray for them. We pray for uh, these amazing saints that are serving your holy name, that are experiencing uh, suffering, but also are experts in rejoicing. And we are seeing the fruits of their perseverance and their character and their hope. Thank you, Father. And we pray that, Lord, you would continue to build a bridge from our community to communities like this to further the work of your kingdom and the training up of pastors and the planning of churches. And, Lord, uh, the work of your church around this world we also pray for here, Lord, that today in this simple service, that maybe today you would wake us up to the mission that you've called us on, each of us, the journey that you've called us on, to not only receive, but let flow out of us that which is your good work in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.